All right, Romans chapter 14. If you uh, haven't been here last week, you might be wondering where the young good-looking guy is. He's still here. He's back on the sound, running sound. That's Pastor Dan. We alternate a little bit from time to time. So, all right. I feel or felt this morning when we were doing worship that there's a few folks really struggling with some things. And uh, that might be just uh, who you are as, a, as an individual, just trying to figure that out. Um, it could be addictions, it could be whatever may be going on. But I just felt like we needed to pray for each other, lift up a prayer, um, to try to lift some of that heaviness that maybe you're going through this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Father, you're such a loving God. You're such a faithful God. Lord, we mess up, we make wrong choices. And sometimes we make repetitive wrong choices. And then they take on a life of their own. But Father, I just pray for anybody that might be here this morning struggling with anything, all things. I know that it's hard to, to worship when you're struggling. I know that it's hard to worship when you feel less than. But Father, I just pray that you'd wrap your arms around anyone this morning that's hurting, whether here or at home, listening to the broadcast, that, Father, you would let them know how much you care, that you have not abandoned, you have not forsaken them. And that, Father, your position hasn't changed. All we've got to do is turn back to you. Go back to our first love, to do the first things. Fellowship, prayer, studies, evangelism, all those things, Father, that used to excite us so much. So I just pray for anyone that might be hurting this morning, Father. Again, may they feel loved by you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is every knee and every... Uh, yeah, it'll bow. Every knee shall bow. And tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul has been giving Christians a living code of conduct, if you will, how they're supposed to act towards this person or that person or this group of people. So, chapter 14 is really a continuation of all that he has been instructing us on how to live in the environment that we are in. In chapter 13, it dealt with reactions and interactions with the government and authority in general. And I've had lots of comments after last week's teaching in dealing with uh, those that are in authority over us. Because that's really easy when we like them. But it's really tough when we don't like them. And I had a lot of people saying that, you know, they've been praying for our leadership, but it wasn't the kind of positive prayer. <laughs> it was kind of more like, just get rid of them, you know, just, just get them out there. And so he gave us a, 
You know, that's the one thing about God's word. Regardless of the environment, regardless of the situation, regardless of what, regardless of what change or how much a, a society changes, God's word is still the same. Amen. Yesterday, today, and forever. And if we decide to get away from God's word, there's no telling where we're going to end up. You know, if you, take, if you start on a journey and you're one degree off, you're going to be a long way from your destination by the time you get to that destination. And I think a lot of people start with that one degree off and then pretty soon they're so far away from the things of the Lord that you just kind of scratch your head and go, I know that they believe in Jesus or at least they claim to believe in Jesus but the things that come out of their mouth the things that they say the things that they do you're going it just somehow doesn't track those two things just don't track Jesus and all that follows out of that he told us that we're supposed to submit and here's the thing with submission you guys we talked about this last time that word submission comes from a Greek word and you won't remember it even if I tell you but the thing of it is it means to place yourself in an orderly fashion under someone or something and it means to do it willingly and uh, that's difficult too when you think you're smarter than your boss or we know how to run this better than they know how to run it and that's that's hard to do and even especially if you think that the person you've got to submit to is 100% wrong it doesn't change what that word means for us ultimately the reason it's in here the reason it's important to the Lord is because that chain of command runs all the way up to him he talks about people being put in positions and places and he's allowed them to be in those spots and in those places. Now, I know you're thinking, how in the world could the Lord want some of these people in these places? Well, I can just tell you that he does. He allows that. And in some cases, it's for our understanding and our training and our edification and for us to learn that ultimately... This is really our submission to God. God, I either believe that you're in charge or I don't. I either believe that you're still on the throne or I don't believe that you're on the throne. And I can tell you this, going through what we're going through as a nation, as people, um, it makes going through it a whole lot better and a whole lot easier if we still believe that God's in charge of all this. We may not be able to figure it all out. It may not make any sense to us at all, but we know that God is in charge. There's a few things in Scripture that have always been a concern, I think, for most of us, and that is there's going to be that great falling away. There's going to be a lot of people who claim to be Christians who are going to fall away from the faith. How's that going to happen? I don't know about you guys, but years ago, I would read some of this stuff and I'm thinking, Christians are too smart for this. You know, we're going to see it coming. We're going to know what's happening. But I'll tell you what, the enemy's slick. He's very, very slick. He knows how to appeal to our flesh to be able to sneak into our lives one little degree at a time. 
But God's word remains the same for all of us, guys. We've got to hang on to that. And when things get crazy for all of us, at least for me, I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I may not understand it, but I believe you're in charge. I believe you have not abandoned your people. I believe you have not abandoned anything. You haven't taken a vacation and decided not to return. You are still there and you are still in charge. So the point is, instead of me trying to figure out that which I cannot completely understand, the point is for me to say, God, give me the ability to live my life in a Christian manner, even in the middle of all of this. And that's really what Paul's doing. He's kind of given us those guidelines of how we should be and what we should say and how we should act. Basically, he's giving us the instructions on how to live a guilt-free life. To be able to lay down at night, close your eyes, and go, all is good with my soul. The world is another thing, <laughs> but all is well with my soul because my Savior lives. Now, before we begin chapter 14, I want to close with the, I mean, I want to open with the closing of the last teaching there in chapter 13, and I'll read that and then we'll start the study. And that is, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry, revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, I happen to like science fiction. I like a good conspiracy theory once in a while. But I also know that Pastor Chuck years ago used to tell us pastors and he would say, if somebody comes up to you, even with a prophecy, and says, the Lord tells me that you should do this and this and this. He said, you put it on the back burner. You don't alter your life. You don't change your life. You put it on the back burner. If that begins to boil, then maybe it's from God. But most of the time, it'll never boil because it was not from the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If we chase all of that... Now, I like being informed. Please understand what I'm saying. I think it's good to be informed. But if we chase all of that, it's going to affect us. We're going to begin to lose hope. We're going to begin to get our eyes on all of that. The price of, you know, gas per gallon. The fact that they're trying to get us, you know, they're working on bugs. So we can eat bugs because food's going to get scarce, right? You, you think I'm kidding you, do, do a little looking, do a little reading. They're going to have to try to feed the population. They're going to come up with alternative, alternative means. But here's my point. My point is, it's okay. I mean, you can go down that, that rabbit hole a little bit, but don't go too far. And don't forget that Jesus is still in charge of everything. I think it's a good idea to have your eyes open in this life. But when you begin to see it affecting you, and your joy is not there. Fear begins to creep in. Wondering what's going to happen. Then you need to back off. We need to back off a little bit. And we need to put Jesus Christ back 
on the throne. The day is spent. Yeah, the night is spent. The day is starting. There's no time for us to be messing around anymore. We got to get this figured out because there's a, a world around us, your friends, your relatives, the people you go to school with, the people that you work with, they still need to hear that Jesus is alive and they still need to hear that God has a plan for their life. So pray with me and we'll begin. Father, again, we desire that you would give us your will, that you would teach us your word, help us to uh, soften our hearts and be willing to hear what you have to say to us. And that, Father, it would not, for all of us, not just go in one ear and out the other, but it would change us. It would change our hearts. If there's things you want us to clean up, that, God, you would give us the strength and the power to clean those up. If there's things that we need to be reminded of, Father, would you remind us of those things? Father, if we've lost our love for our fellow man, if we've lost the love of evangelism, Father, put it back in our hearts. We give these things to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please look at verse 1 in chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. Weak in the faith. What exactly does that mean? We have a tendency to associate this with a person who might be new in the faith also. But it doesn't have to be someone necessarily that is new or young. It can be somebody who is 50, 60 years old, 45. If you're in your teens, 40 years old. Right, So it could be anyone that is still working out what it means to be a Christian. Where liberty and, and love get mixed together in some miraculous, wonderful way. To where we're not abusing liberty and acting not in love. God gives us the ability to be able to do that. So whatever the length of time... Since someone's conversion, conversion, excuse me, for the one who is weak in the faith, there's been very, very little growth. Now, for me, as when I became a Christian, um, God leads you, a friend invites you to church, you go to church. And I spent a great deal of time in churches that did topical messages. Right, And a topical message is not bad. If you're teaching on love and you search the scriptures and you teach on love, that's okay. The problem with always teaching in a topical message is pretty soon you're going to be on the building program. Right? Pretty soon you're going to be talking on your pet peeves instead of just going through the word of God. At Calvary, we try to do an inductive Bible study. Inductive means to pull out what's there. Not to, to add what's it, something we want to add into it, but just pull out what is already there. By doing the verse-by-verse -verse inductive Bible study, it keeps you on track. It keeps you from, from getting into that particular area. And I know that for years, that's all I heard were topical messages. And I would say... 99% of the time, it was from the New Testament. 
So it's very, very unfamiliar with the Old Testament, how the two of them sandwich together and how vital they both are to fully understanding the Word of God. So you could be a Christian for quite some time and be in that kind of environment or have been in that kind of environment and just not really understand the depth or the full meaning of what God is trying to teach us. So, Paul says to welcome that person who is new in the faith, young in the faith, those who are weak in the faith, welcome into our fellowship, but not so that we can condemn them and pick them apart. Not so that we can debate them, but to really bring them in and disciple, to, to love them, to care, genuinely care about them. Look at verses 2 and 3. He goes in to try to define this a little bit, and he says, For one believes he may eat all things. Now, this was a big deal for the Jewish community. You can only eat certain things. It was very, very strict. But when Jesus came along, he kind of abolished most of those things, or if not all of those things. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. So if you're a vegetarian, no, I'm just kidding. But he's just saying there were some who were saying vegetables is the only way to go. and They're putting down the people who are eating meat. And you have those who are meat eaters that are saying, ah, you know, you just, you're one of those. You know, you're a tree hugger, you're eating vegetables all the time, you, you know, your diet's not right. And you might not believe it, but those kind of things can completely divide a church. They can divide a friendship if, they, if you hold on to them too much and don't leave this kind of stuff to the Lord. It says so, verse 3, let, him, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Look around. God has received us all. We're all a little peculiar. Right? Everybody's going to have a little bit different slant on these things. What's healthy, what's not healthy. And some people don't care if it's healthy or not. You know, it's like I'm only going to live a certain amount. I'm going to die. I'm going to eat what I want and die happy. And you have others who are like religious on getting up and working out and doing the stuff. That's not supposed to be an issue between the two of them. And especially, especially judging someone's Christian walk by those kinds of things. He's saying they're both accepted of the Lord. They're his kids. How do you feel if somebody else disciplines your kid? Now you might say, well, I don't mind a certain amount of that. But how about if they're a little tougher on them than you usually are? You're like, keep your nose out of my family. You take care of your own family, you leave my family alone. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, it's my job, I'll take care of them. If there's something I don't like, let me deal with it. Now, whereas we as parents, we're good parents most of the time, sometimes we're not. Most of us as parents, we look back and there's lots of things we'd like to have changed. But Jesus is the perfect parent. God is the perfect parent. He doesn't make any mistakes. He couldn't be God if he wasn't the perfect parent. So, He's saying, let's, let's leave that in his hands. Not cause division over it. Not hear somebody say something, and then we've got to correct that 
Sometimes you just have to smile. You realize people are in, uh, on their journey. And I've told you guys this before, but one of the things that I like, and I'm probably a little weird about this, but I, I love if I'm back there by the door, I've got to be careful how I say this. If I'm back there by the door, and someone who's just recently got saved, you know, they'll say, you know, good morning, pastor, or whatever, and they'll let a swear word slip out. They'll let a swear word slip out, right? And, and you, they're all embarrassed, and I just I kind of smile. Why? Because God's working in their heart. God's working in their life. They're not going to feel the same thing in six months that they do now. They're not going to feel the same way in a year that they do now. But God's converting and God's changing. You know, perhaps you did that. I know that I did. It took me a while to get rid of my construction language when I came to know Jesus Christ. So we've got to have that patience with each other. Now, let's move on to verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. Now, this is important. He will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Why? Because righteousness is not in us, it's in Jesus. We are made right through the blood of Jesus, and we're not made right by just being good. We can't be good enough to be right. We're made right by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He did what we could not do, and paid for sins he did not commit. So our righteousness is in him. Now, let's take this. The illustration, of course, here is about a master's household and how he handles his home and how he handles his servant. Now, a normal person would not think of going into another person's home and telling them how to run it, except your mother-in-law. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Most of us would not consider going into another person's home and telling them how to run it. If you have any decency at all, you wouldn't go in and go, hey, look at those cobwebs. Well, you didn't clean, you didn't clean around here in the corners. You, know, you, didn't get, you didn't get that done. And that kid of yours, you need to spack him. You know, you need to put him in time out. You need, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. They are the ones that would be in charge. It is their family, and we need to let God do the work in their life. Now, perhaps a more current model might be going in and telling someone how to run their own business. They have a business. You walk into their business and go, oh, no, this is not good. Let me see your bottom line. I think we can increase that. You shouldn't have these people doing this and you shouldn't have people... We wouldn't think of that. That's their business. If it rises or falls, it's their business. We wouldn't think of doing that. So he uses this to prove that it makes no sense to judge another Christian because he is God's. And God, it's, he's God's servant. It's up to God to work in that person's life now, how many times have you, have you guys done this? If, you, if you're a parent, and you've been a parent for very long, 
Sometimes you can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach, right? And you say the same things, you say the same things, and it goes in one ear and out the other. In fact, sometimes if you're, if you're <laughs> a certain type of an individual, when you have somebody doing that to you, you resist it. Because you just don't like anybody telling you what to do. But when you let off a little, you see, it's easier to speak it than it is to pray. It's easier to complain than it is to pray. But as soon as you let off a little bit and let God begin to do the work in that child's life, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Someone from our fellowship a long time ago was talking about how they had been sharing the Lord with a guy at work all the time, all the time, all the time. He didn't want anything to do with it. He just listened politely. He didn't want anything to do with it. Comes home one day and tells his wife, guess what? I got saved today. It's like he tells his buddy, his buddy's what? He says, yeah, I got saved today. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He goes, man, I've been preaching to you for, for months, if not years. And he says, what? What happened? He goes, oh, well, this, there was this guy, this Christian guy that got hired on at work. And we just started talking. And he led me to the Lord. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The point is, God can do it without us. He can put somebody in at work. Sometimes it's just the way that that person goes about it or maybe they're just a little more bold but God sets it up. He puts that person in their life and our greatest thing that we can do is to pray. Pray that God will change your children. Pray that God will change your husband or your wife. And some of you are sitting there going, man, I've been praying that for years and years and years. Becky and I will be going somewhere and I'll say, well, I need to go in and change. And, and I tell her, you've been praying that I would change for years and years and years. But God can do the work. In fact, I think sometimes, it, please understand, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be witnessing. We should be witnessing, but I think sometimes we just get in the way. Sometimes we just need to pray a lot more and uh, speak a whole lot uh, more softly. <laughs> Okay, so again, who are we to judge? If God's approved them, then we need to stand in that grace and mercy. And I can tell you this, I have three, three sons and all of them had a different journey. They're different, different kids. They, they reacted to things in a different way and yet all of them have given their life to Jesus Christ. And that is to God's glory, not necessarily mine. Okay, look at verses 5 and 6. It says, one person esteems one day above another. Now I want you to think, which day do you think is the most spiritual? Don't, add, don't, don't say it, but which one do you think is the most spiritual? One person esteems one day over another. Another esteems every day the same. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind he who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe that day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he 
he does not eat and God and excuse me and gives God thanks kind of a little tricky let me go over it again one person esteems one day over the other another esteems one day or all the days alike each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes that day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe that day, to the Lord he does not observe it. But to he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. In other words, I love seeing people pray for their meal in public. I just, it's just refreshing. It's just a cool thing if I see a husband and a wife holding hands and praying for their meal. It's just a cool deal. Or the family praying. It's a cool deal. But if there's a Christian family who didn't pray, does that mean they're going to hell? Does that mean that that burger's going to turn sour? And they're going to throw it all up? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, one person may hold Saturday as the day of spiritual significance. And there are a group of people who feel that Saturday is the real day, not Sunday. But here's the point. It doesn't matter. Pastor, how can you say it doesn't matter? Because it doesn't matter. Jesus wanted people to observe the Sabbath day. So that they could have the Sabbath rest. To settle and relax a little bit. But here's the point. When you become a Christian, you accept Sabbath into your heart. Follow me? You've given Jesus Christ to your heart. Every day is the Sabbath. Every day is the Sabbath. There shouldn't be one day that we... Rejoice in Jesus. We should be rejoicing, rejoicing in Jesus every single day. Because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We won't have rest without Jesus Christ. So if Monday is your day, praise God. If it's Tuesday, praise the Lord. If it's 4 o'clock in the morning, God bless you. <laughs> every day is the same. Now, people get hung up on, on Christmas. Well, Christmas is a pagan holiday, and you know, it's blah, blah. Who cares? Who cares? This is what he's trying to say. If we celebrate Christmas because of Jesus, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. You can do it on any day you want to. You can call it whatever you want to. Jesus always deals with the heart, not the hoop. So that's what he's trying to say. We need to chill a little on, on those things. We've caught, in flack, caught flack at some points in the past because we have a harvest party, or we usually have a, a harvest party. And the point of having the harvest party is to try to keep kids off the street during Halloween, to try to bring them here, have them, let them have some safe fun. And people say, well, you're celebrating Halloween. No, we're not. We're not. This is exactly what Paul's talking about here. We're not celebrating Halloween. I think that's the, the worst holiday in the whole book, right? In the whole scheme of things. I, I just don't like it at all. But to see little kids out here playing games and getting some candy and going home and riding things, and that's awesome. 
That's an awesome thing, and we do it as unto Jesus Christ. If we're dealing with supposedly those that are young in the faith now, we need to be mature in the Lord, and everything needs to be done to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And thanks really should be given to the Lord for everything that we eat. Lord, thank you. Although it's a little bit of a stretch for a cheeseburger and fries or a chocolate sundae, we should still be thanking the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for providing this ability, for providing food for me, because it all comes from Him. Look at verses 7 through 12. For none of us lives to Himself. Now, this is important. You are not alone in this world. And if you are a Christian, you're part of a really, really large family. So, none of us lives to themself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the what? We live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are what? We're the Lord's. We're the Lord's. I don't know about you, but that's really cool. We are the Lord's. Living or dying, we are still God's. Gas, no gas, we're still God's. Steak or bugs, we're still God's. We are still God's. Now, verse 9. For to this end Christ died, and he rose And he lived again that we might, excuse me, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What? What? Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Not for salvation. Not for salvation. That's the Bema seat, the great white throne of judgment. You're not going to stand before the Lord for judgment for the lack of salvation. You're going to have that in Jesus Christ. But we are going to sit before the Lord, and I don't know if anybody completely really understands what's going to take place there, but I think there's going to be a little bit of reconciliation. Here's just what I think and, and that and 50 cents won't buy you anything but the point I'm making here is this we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior I believe that the questions here are going to be more like what did you do with my son I gave him to you there's even scriptures that says we might have to give an account for the words we speak. Wow. That'll change dinner conversation, won't it? What's going to take place there, we don't completely know. But I do know one thing. Love is one of the highest things that we can do and give to people. We're going to know we're Christians by our love for one another 
So he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Wow. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? If we have to give no account to God for anything, we can live any way we want, right? If we convince ourselves that there's no Savior, that there's no reconciliation, we can just go on through life ignoring that there is a God. Or pretending, maybe I should say, that there is no God. But if I accept the fact that there is a holy, righteous God that gave His life for me through His Son, and that there's going to come a time that I have to give an account of myself to God, it should change the way I think and the way I act towards people. Now guys, I don't want to I don't want to go in so deep in this that I make everybody feel bad here. Because none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. And I know we've said things that we probably shouldn't have said even if it was in the privacy of our own home. But if he's in charge of the living and the dying and he's the controller of life, the giver and the taker of life, the the living and the dead, then it should at least be something that's in the forefront of my head and my thoughts. And that is, am am I trying here? Am I treating this person with love? Am I treating this person with respect? Am I living out my gift that God gave, and gave to me through Jesus Christ? Now, now, what do I mean by that, guys? Um, sometimes we just go, we just have an attitude, right? And we say, well, this is just who I am. You can like it or not. Man, that's a worldly viewpoint of things. If we are being a jerk, we need to alter that. We need to change that. If we're being unloving, we need to change that. If we're being unkind, we need to change that. If we're always on someone's case, we need to change that. We need to listen. We need to listen to what our spouse is saying. To maybe even what our kids are saying. Maybe what our friends are saying. It's so easy to project everything that I'm going through on someone else because then I don't have to deal with it. might say, well, it's, it's hard to change. You bet it is. You bet it is. If we had a deliverance service tomorrow, the church would probably fill up. You know why? Because that's easy. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get delivered of this thing I got. Now, can God deliver? Absolutely. I'm not making fun of that. What I'm saying is, that's easy. Who wouldn't want to take that path? Well, I'm being a jerk to my family. I'm going to go to the deliverance service. Hey, I got prayed for. I'm delivered. I'm not that way. But you're still a jerk. It must not have worked on you. (laughs) I hope you follow what I'm saying. Working and being who we're supposed to be is work. 
changing behaviors and allowing God to change those behaviors and changing us to where we're more, a more loving, caring individual, that's going to take some change on our part and our willingness to let God change our hearts and to say these famous, hard-to-say words, I was wrong. Fonzie could not say that. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm sorry. If you are a narcissist, you cannot say that. You know that? If you are a narcissist, you cannot say I'm sorry and mean it. Why? Because you're never wrong. Everybody else is dumb and everybody else is wrong and everybody else makes mistakes, but you, but you don't. So it's going to be very hard for you to say, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. But here's the point. God can change that. He mapped us all. He can remap us. But we need to be willing to let the Lord do those things. Well, the apostle reminds us that... The great equalizer is the judgment seat of the Lord. That's where we all stand. We're going to all sit before the Lord. And here I think it's going to be, here's what I think. I'm going to give you my opinion. I think it's going to be kind of like those film strips. You know, these, all these young kids are going to go, film strips? What's a film strip? Kind of like an eight track. You know, what's an eight track? But here's the thing. When I was a kid, we had film strips in school. And they were, I think they were 9mm film strips, 16mm, I think is what they were. But anyway, they would run through and they were kind of like those old-timey movie things that they would do. And I believe it's going to kind of be a, something like that that's just going to kind of run in front of us of our life. And I believe at the end of that we're going to go, oh my gosh, I hope nobody else saw that. But I think what it's going to do, it's going to give us such a broken heart but in a good way I think it's going to humble us to the point to where we glorify God by saying and God you saved me anyway you gave me life anyway with all the things I've done and all the people I've disappointed and all the people that I've hurt you still gave me life And Satan, the accuser of the brethren, are going to be, he's going to be jumping up and going, yeah, look at him. He's no good, nothing, no worth guy. Look, at, keeps saying he's sorry, keeps doing this and this. Some Christian that they are, and you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to say, Dad, that one's mine. 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 And he's going to say, Enter into your rest. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, because of what Jesus Christ has done. So, those who haven't given their life to Jesus Christ are going to face a different kind of judgment. That's going to be the great white throne judgment. In Revelation 22, 12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Wow. I don't want that. 
Do you? Do you want, do you want to be rewarded according to how you've lived your life? <laughs> I don't. I want to be rewarded by the riches of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that I have a chance. So Paul's question is, why do you judge another brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. Look at verses 13 and 14. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know that I am convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Okay, so don't major on the minors. There are some things in our Christian faith that we can't budge on. But there's a lot of things that simply don't matter. They get, people get caught up in them a lot, but they really don't matter. You have the Pentecostals who say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, therefore you're not saved, and therefore you're not going to go to eternity. You know, Billy Graham never had the gift of tongues. He never had a prayer language. But here's the point. Who cares? Do you think God's going to say, oh, I never heard you speaking in the checkout line in tongues? And you see, those are one of the things that God's going to go, who cares? What did you do with my son? You have, G, you have my son? Come on. You're part of the family. Okay. There's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of gray areas that people put a lot of time and effort into that are not a matter of doctrine. They're just a matter of preference. So, Paul's encouraging us to not lay our trips on someone else if it's not spoken of in the word of God leave it alone he's also saying that we should not try to enforce our liberties on someone else that it is morally wrong for them to do you, you follow what I'm saying if you sit down with somebody and you know that they don't eat pork and you order this big old pork sandwich right and then you give them a hard time. Hey, you want to bite? 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 <laughs> well, you know, your faith must be really bad because it limits you. I can eat, you know, but you, you, can't, you can't eat it. <laughs> He's saying, man, don't, don't, do, don't do that. Do not do something that you know somebody else will get stumbled by. It's not going to cost you anything except for that time, Right? If you sit down with a brother that is struggling with alcoholism, don't drink. And I think even if they say, hey, go ahead, I, I still think, no. How long have you been sober? It could be the one thing that makes that brother fall. So love triumphs. Even though it may be okay for you, even though it may not be a sin for you, it could really mess that brother or sister up in the Lord okay look at verse 15 yet if your brother is grieved by your food you are no longer walking in love 
Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God, acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. The things that make for peace and build up others. Let us seek those things. Not the things that tear down, but the things that build up. Verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but if it is evil for the man who eats with offense, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense... It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is of sin. In other words, you... Mow the yard, you like to have a cold beer. I was raised in an alcohol family, so I'm kind of against it automatically because I just saw the destruction that it, that it gives and can do in a life. But, Scripture says, it doesn't say you can't, just don't get drunk. So, for me, not having it, I don't have to worry about getting drunk. There's no tipping point somewhere where i got to figure that out. But it doesn't say you can't. He just says, don't be drunk. But if you go out with a friend who struggles with it, he's saying, do that at home. That's all he's saying. Do, not, not when you're out with a brother or sister that's struggling. Show a little love. Show a little compassion for that individual. You know, be, be kind to that individual. Okay, I'm going to close here. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another so in a nutshell guys we're saying care about each other love each other be sensitive to each other and you might say well I can't live my life by everybody else's convictions why not it's only temporary it's only a dinner meal I get that I understand that all I'm saying is that if I know that that person is struggling it's unkind of me and I should just bypass it. It's a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Notice that, or do anything by which your brother stumbles. And you're going, well, I could stumble everybody with everything. Well, maybe you need to change friends. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But I'm just saying, love, and I hope, I feel like God really gave me this some time ago. But I really hope you catch this. Love trumps liberty. Love trumps liberty. It might be okay for me to do it, but is it loving? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So if it's going to hurt someone, I need to make sure that I... Am careful. So, as we close this one, keep in mind the next chapter is going to speak about a higher love that he's talking about that considers the weakness of other people even over our own desires. So let's pray.